Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. So hello and welcome to yet another episode of The Euro Trip. It is great to be with you. It is a Wednesday, of course, which is when we bring you all the latest news from the world of Eurovision. We bring you a big guest and we bring you the one second song, more details of which to come. But first, James Rowe, my co-host here on the podcast, I have an important question to ask you. Go for it. Do you have a fancy dress box? I don't. I just have fancy dress wherever I want it. I don't follow the rules. I don't keep it in a box. What What have you got? Like just what scattered around the place? What What are we talking? Just scattered around the place. I'm a I'm a man who's been known to dress up as uh, as maybe a Eurovision artist or two. Go on. You're not giving us many details. I'm not. Uh, but I can say there may well be somewhere on the internet of me dressed up as either one of John or Edward from Jedward. <laughs> Wow. If ever there was a reason to stalk your social media, (laughs) that's very, very exciting. Uh, The only reason I ask is this is, of course, inspired by your friend of mine, uh, Tix, from Norway over the weekend, and his very impressive angel wings. Uh, Have you ever donned a set of angel wings in the past? I don't think I have. Not even at a school nativity when people would dress up as an angel. The only thing I dressed up as at a school nativity was a goat. what these are revelations that I didn't think we'd get at the very start of the podcast honestly it's just killer content all the way with us isn't it what role did the goat play in the nativity it uh, it was a it was an uncredited role I didn't have much of a role to play whatsoever but you you can't deflect that question anyway what have you dressed up as um on a Eurovision party you've ever had 
Uh, well, so I've dressed up as a as a gorilla. Do you remember when uh, your friend of mine, old Francesco Gabani, was representing yeah, Italy in, uh, in 2017? Uh, but no, this all comes back to a story that I had involving some angel wings. Um, so I was on, you know, you might know them, you go to university, these big society nights where you dress up. Uh, I was, and I think I was supposed to be a fairy rather than an angel, but it still works. <laughs> anyway, I went into a bar and got wedged in the doorway. <laughs> Because the wings were so wide, um, but because I'd obviously had a beverage or two at that point, I couldn't quite work out what was happening <laughs> and just kept, you know, like a dog when they get a massive stick and they try and go through a gateway. <laughs> I just kept doing that. Anyway, eventually I managed to squeeze my way through the door uh, in the process, knocking the bouncer over with my wings uh, and then getting banned from that uh, from that bar from for the rest of my time at university. Oh, wow. What a story that is. You'd, you'd be forgiven to think that this isn't actually a Eurovision podcast at all after that conversation. You would, wouldn't you? I'm not sure this is anything that Ticks had to deal with in the uh, MGP studio. But uh, but anyway, uh, I hope you enjoyed that little, little anecdote, listeners, because, oh, I tell you what, there is more to come. It's time for the Euro trip. Let the dance macabre begin. Warm welcome. I know the only one show in the world that combines it all. Singing, music, dancing, traditional and ethnic styles. It's massive. It's twice the Super Bowl. It's like 200 million people. When we reach the end of the show in approximately three to eight hours, we will have a new champion. Now let's get to it. Are you ready to party Europe? It is easy. What I say? What I say? This is the Euro Trip. So, hello and welcome to the Euro Trip, your favourite Eurovision podcast with me, Rob, me, James, and this week, Jake Shakeshaft. Yeah, of course, he was one half of the United Kingdom's entry at Eurovision 2016, Joe and Jake, and it's always fantastic to speak to an artist who's represented the United Kingdom at the contest and as they always do they've got some fantastic stories about what it's like being selected by the BBC working alongside them in various UK selection shows and Jake is just so down to earth he's so normal he's just like one of those guys you would hang out with your mates at the pub and he has so many great stories including this one about the writing process for his song You're Not Alone. It was crazy. I mean, we did a lot of work with him, and uh, he's he's such a character. <laughs> he really is a great character. And it was all very, you know, oh no, do this, do this, do this. But at the same time, there was only kind of that love behind it. It was brilliant. He just wanted the best out of you, and I found he has a great way of bringing the best out of you. I mean, in the end, I think um, because of purely because of Matt and all the ideas and things that we were brainstorming, he, I think we ended up with about forty-eight different versions of "You're Not Alone." So we'll hear more from Jake later on in the podcast. Very excited for that big interview. Uh, We will also talk about the very busy weekend that we've just had. Of course, we had three songs selected for Rotterdam. We had, of course, Ticks for Norway. We also have Blind Channel, formerly guests on this podcast. They'll be representing Finland. And also, Blas Canto chose his song, or rather the Spanish public did, for him for Rotterdam. And I'll be chatting to a Spanish journalist from EurovisionSpain.com to find out more about that. And as usual in national final season, we'll be speaking to another artist who is hoping to represent their country at this year's Eurovision Song Contest. 
You're listening on Acast, on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. This is the Eurotrip. So yeah, that's right. You are listening to a brand new episode of the Eurotrip podcast. It's always fantastic to have you along for every single episode we do. And it's always great to hear what you guys think, especially when you get in touch with us on Twitter or on Instagram. We are, of course, at Eurotrip podcast uh, and there's been so many comments about last week's three episodes don't worry we're not doing that again for you this week just the two this week uh, but in terms of messages we've had a big thanks to Chris who got in touch with us to say any Eurovision fans not listening to this amazing podcast are missing out brilliant interviews incredible access and insight and Kano are a delight as usual yeah now James mentioned three episodes last week obviously you can go back and listen to them at your listening pleasure. Listen to them whenever you want. Maybe you could listen to me and James in the bath, but maybe that's just made you feel a little bit weird. Uh, you could listen to our special episode on Friday, by the way, if you haven't already. It came out last Friday, uh, where we take you behind the scenes of Eurovision uh, with Stein Smulders, Eurovision's digital king, uh, as we've so titled him, uh, and also uh, Seat Sabaka, who is, of course, one of the exec producers of Eurovision 2021. I managed to ask him loads of questions about this year's contest, so make sure you have listened to that but as James says thanks so much for getting in touch Uh, got one here from Mark who says I really recommend listening to the latest episode of the Utrecht podcast especially if you're a Kano fan of course Kano were our big guests last week Uh, their interview with Tom Fred and Alexandra is so wholesome and showcases what lovely people they are and they are lovely people unfortunately not representing Norway uh, this year I don't want that to go down as us being a curse by the way I don't want that to put any artists off appearing on the podcast in in the future uh, but uh, yeah obviously ticks good luck to him in rotterdam and i don't know if you saw james there was a lovely little instagram exchange uh, between ticks and kino uh, where ticks said i'd give you guys 12 points and then kino came back and said uh, good luck in rotterdam so that was all very lovely that is very wholesome, isn't it? That's the kind of love we like to see. Uh, speaking of love as well, there were so many other comments just about your interview with Kano because people loved him so much. Thomas said on Twitter, uh, what a great interview with Kano. How are they so damn pure? Rob, how are they so damn pure? I think it probably helped that I was the one doing the interview because anything <laughs> looks relatively pure next to me. Uh, and finally, uh, this one from Corey. And I really, really like this tweet. She said, I've only just discovered the podcast last weekend and have been binging on the episodes in chronological order. Nearly caught up. Really enjoy the interviews, the insight, the games, the banter. Me and you, banter. That's right. We're funny people. Uh, and this is the thing that gets me. She oh, finished- no. She finishes her tweet. She finishes her tweet. She does. No, no, she doesn't. She She doesn't. That was the end of the tweet. Do you want to know what she says at the end of the tweet, (sighs) listeners? She says, and yes, even the Wogan cameos. So ho, 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 de ho, the old Terry Wogan might be back on the podcast before you know it. Right. Anyway, let's move on and do the news. That's right, you might remember last week I mentioned your news hats. I hope you've got them uh, fully secured because it's been a busy old time in the world of Eurovision. James, hat on. Hat well and truly on. Have you had yours uh, refitted? You said it was covering your eyes last week. No, it's still at the hat shop. 
which I assume is what you call them. It's not. I think you call them. A, is it a mil, milliner? I think it's a milliner that is responsible for hats. So uh, yeah, the, the milliner's still got it. I'd call it a hattery. A hattery? What, like a cattery, but for hats? <laughs> it's where you put your hats when you go on holiday. <laughs> surely you're taking it with you. Anyway, anyway, should we do the news? I think so. It depends on the holiday, surely. Anyway, anyway, sorry. We uh, yeah, we digress. Uh, I've got a very difficult task this week and I think whoever does the news over the next six weeks or so will as well because the news is developing so fast but I will try and cover as much as I can. So I'll start in Norway where the final of Melody Grand Prix took place on Saturday after six weeks of competition. Uh, it came down to Tix and Kano in the final two with Tix coming out on top. He'll be performing Fallen Angel in May. Uh, UMK in Finland also took place on Saturday as the Finnish people voted for their song for 2021. Seven artists took part, including former Estonian entry Laura, but it was rock band Blind Channel, who we spoke to on the podcast a few weeks ago, who took a convincing victory with their song Dark Side. The final song to be chosen on Saturday night was Blas Canto's song for Spain. Uh, we'll hear more about that very, very shortly. But first, let's take a quick listen to the three songs that were selected on Saturday night. They can save us Rushdowns of the sick and dangerous Put your middle fingers up, take a shot, throw it up and don't stop Rob, you've got a task of telling me what you think about those three songs in just three words. Varied styles. Enjoyable. Well, there you go. If you've got a three-word description of those three songs, you can tweet us at Eurotrip Podcast. Uh, now then, depending on when you are listening to this, uh, you may well have heard more songs that have been revealed for Eurovision 2021. As Cyprus, Germany, Ireland and Slovenia are all due to release their songs this week. You can keep up to date with all the releases over on uofwar.com. And it is worth noting that San Marino were also due to release their song this week, but this has been delayed until, you guessed it, March. Uh, since last week's episode, both semi-finals of Estilal have taken place, meaning that 12 artists have now been chosen to compete in the final that takes place on the 6th of March. Melfest continued last weekend as well and you can hear more about that on this week's episode of Melfest Monday. And as Steve Holden on last week's episode teased, a big news has finally come from the BBC in the United Kingdom as James Newman has been officially announced as the artist for 2021. His quote-unquote positive and upbeat song will be released next month. Uh, and finally, from me in Serbia, Hurricane have revealed that their song will be titled Loco Loco, and Kelsapriz will also be revealed in March. Yeah, as we've already said multiple times, March, busy old time. Not quite sure how we're all going to cope, but we'll get through it together here on the podcast. Uh, James, normally this is the time that I say you've forgotten something, but you didn't this week, so good job. Thank you very much. But presumably you have been busy doing something while I've been doing this. I have indeed. Yeah, I've uh, been throwing out my journalistic feelers, uh, as I'm going to call them, <laughs> and uh, they fell. 
in Spain. Uh, you mentioned earlier on that uh, Blas Canto has had his song selected for Rotterdam. Uh, here we go, everybody. Uh, this is the part of the podcast where I'm going to attempt to pronounce the name of Blas Canto's song for Eurovision 2021. I believe it is called Voy a Cuadrarme. I'm going to give that another go. Voy a Cuadrarme. There we are. Let's go with that. That'll probably be the last time I say it. Uh, that was one of the two songs uh, in the running for Spain this year. They had a three-hour selection show to pick between two songs, which does seem a little unnecessary. Uh, anyway, Blass's song was one of the most anticipated of this year's Eurovision season, of course. There was a, a few big fans of Universo, his song from 2020. So I thought I would catch up with Carles from EurovisionSpain.com. And I started by asking what the reaction had been to the Spanish Eurovision decision. I could say rather cold. When the two songs were announced, it was like uh, you have you have had one year to work for a song for Eurovision, and these are the results. Well, but uh, there was almost unanimity that Voya Quedarme was a much better option than Memoria. Before we talk about the the potential result in in Rotterdam. What does the song actually mean? You know, obviously it's a song in Spanish and, and many of our listeners aren't fluent Spanish speakers. So what is the message behind the song? Voy uh, means I'm going to stay here. And the message is related to this COVID and pandemic time. That means that even if we must part, even if we must go, we still, we're still going to remain together. And I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to bug you to not let you go in, in any circumstances. It's a positive message. It's a love song. I mean, Blas has lost two relatives during the pandemic time. And the song meant a lot to him. What, what do you think? we can potentially expect in, in Rotterdam. Before we talk about placings, in terms of the performance and the staging, because you said, you know, yourself, you were disappointed with what we saw on Saturday. So there is a lot of potential to, to change things, you'd hope as well. There was a very nice change when Blas started to sing a cappella. The, the song started very, with the delicacy, as I told you. And the song grows. Uh, first, there is only blast with an instrument, then the, the orchestra is added, the chorus is added. So if we can make it, we, we, if the team behind blast can make it, to let to show how the song grows and how the feeling grows and goes to a climax, final climax, it can, it can be a powerful, powerful entry. So it's not uh, something that uh, it's going to be a disaster or matter what you do. No, not at all. Just that the production didn't work on Saturday. But we think that still a lot can be done to improve and give a good performance. What's the general reaction of the Spanish public to Eurovision as a whole? Where are Spain with Eurovision right now? Are, are the Spanish public very interested in Eurovision or... Are they kind of passive? Are kind of a bit like we are here in the United Kingdom? Uh, rather passive. Uh, I mean, uh, the program was followed by a share of 6.1% of the, of the audience, or really low. And there is no real interest in, in I mean, uh, in the, the population among, among 
in Eurovision. The the only exception was in in year with the Rodolfo Chiquilihuatje in year uh, 2007, I think. 2008, I think. Was, just, yeah, 2008. That was a massive hit in Spain. Do you think it can get back to, to those levels of 2008? Because we've seen Spain in junior Eurovision, of course. You know, they've, they've had some really good results and they always seem to be very actively pursuing a, a good result, at least in the junior contest. So is that something that they can turn around? That's something that surprises us, that uh, the, the results in junior Eurovision are so good. Uh, it's one of the best records, one of the, is the, the, the country with one of the best records in Eurovision, in January Eurovision. Only one win, but only top, always top five positions. What happens in Eurovision senior? <laughs> we really don't know. <laughs> as far as Blast is concerned and, and the Eurovision that we have to come to look forward to in May, what would be a good result for Spain? Because we, you know, we've seen years of, of difficult results, as as many of the many of the big countries have. You know, they've really struggled and they've been down there on the bottom of the right hand side. So, what would be a good result, do you think, for for Spain this year? Uh, well, uh, we would be happy with a top ten placing. That's that's what we say among the Eurovision Spain top team. Uh, top ten placing could be expected, but. Um, for that means the tenth position, no, not <laughs> fighting for the for the for the trophy. We are afraid that we can end up again at the very bottom of the table. We don't feel it's a winning entry. This is the Euro Trip. When you aren't listening, you can find us on social media. We're at Euro Trip Podcast, warming you up for the Eurovision Song Contest. This is the Euro Trip. So thank you very much to Carles from EurovisionSpain.com for joining us on the podcast this week. Uh, some interesting thoughts on uh, Blass's song for Rotterdam. Uh, I can't say whether or not we agree with what he says. I can't say whether you at home listening agree with what he says. You know, that he was very opinionated about the song. You might feel completely differently. But uh, as ever, let us know your thoughts on what you've just heard. Remember as well now, we have an email. Very exciting. Hello at Eurotrippodcast.com. But this week, the podcast has a bit of an Iberian feel. Uh, to tell you a little bit more, here's my colleague, your friend, James Rowe. Indeed. Thanks, Rob. It is now time to speak to a national finalist who is hoping to represent their country at this year's Eurovision Song Contest. And as Rob has teased, we're going to be speaking to somebody from Portugal. Uh, Last weekend, we had the first semi-final of Festival de Canção, which is the Portuguese selection process for Eurovision 2021. And it continues this coming weekend with semi-final two. And competing in that semi-final is Dachik. And of course, she is trying to represent her country at this year's Eurovision Song Contest. And I wanted to find out a little bit more about her history, about her song for this year. But most importantly, and this was the first question, where did her stage name come from? I'm a big uh, fan of uh, Quentin Tarantino movies. There's one called um, Death Proof, and uh, on that soundtrack, and I love soundtracks, and specifically Quentin Tarantino's soundtrack, that's one of the reasons as well that I like it so much. Um, there's the song called Chic Habit by April March, and I don't know how, I don't know why, I mean, that movie is one of my favorites, and, uh, and uh, I don't know why that music somehow inspired me to call myself the chick, but it's 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 not a 
a beautiful story behind the name, but it's just comes from that music, from that movie. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's, I just decided to call myself the chick. What have been your sort of influences? Because I'd love to ask about Eurovision, of course. Is that has that played a big part in your life growing up? Did you aspire to to get involved in Eurovision, or is this a, a recent thing for you? It's pretty recent. Um, well, because it's not. Uh, I mean, it's not about Eurovision. It's about Festival de Canção first, you know, because it's not about you know applying to Eurovision or something. It's applying to this specific contest. Uh, that for years was, you know, I, as an artist, and I've been doing this for 12 years now, it was never, I mean, I, I would see it, but I never felt like I could, you know, find a spot for me there. So, you know, you know, the deal, so RTP, this, this, you know, the deal, how this works. Yeah. So you, you just, just okay. explain that to our listeners then, because it's not a yeah. case of you trying to get involved. You actually get invited and asked to take yeah, part, Yeah. So you? 18, 18 of us from the 20. Uh, get invited from this um, Portuguese public uh, channel. We are invited to, to, to present a song. And then two other are, there's a contest and people, uh, there's a contest before the contest uh, and you apply a song and you get selected by some sort of judge, jury that I'm not aware of who they are. So yeah, uh, but as I was saying, these last years you know it's been changing and it's been um there's more you know it's open to new to different things you know uh to different kinds of music because some years ago was very specific very you know the soft songs and uh, um mostly singing in portuguese so i never felt like i would do something that you know that uh, probably that crowd would like Tell us about your song then, I Got Music. Was this, uh, is this song reflective of your typical music style? And was this a song that you'd already written before you got the invitation? Or was this a song you yeah. wrote especially for Festival de Cancer? Special for Festival, yeah. Uh, well, this song uh, speaks about my, my passion for music and uh, how pleased that I am to, you know, to actually be able to do that. Uh, as a as a profession as a profession and uh it's a song about celebration it's a song about unity it's a song uh about everyone coming together and dancing uh it's a very i'm gonna say simple song but you know very objective and very uh as any disco song you know it's about the chorus it's about the it's about the vibe it's about the uh making sure that everyone understands you. Uh, but I know that I knew that I needed to do a happy song, bring some dance to the table and, uh, and make sure that I was speaking to everyone. And that's what music is about. You know, music, is, it's, it's, you know, everyone can, you know, music is special to everyone. So I wanted to sing about something that is special to everyone and make sure that everyone uh, is in the same, you know, vibe as I am. Looking ahead to 
the Festival de Cansaugen, at the moment you seem very laid back. You seem to be taking this all in your stride. Uh, what are your hopes for the festival? Are you just looking forward to taking part? Are you hoping to win? I mean, what are your ambitions for, for the festival itself? This might sound lame, but it's not really about winning. If the winning comes, amazing. Uh, but it's really about, for me, and I guess for most of us, is about, you know, uh, show what you got and uh, really try to, uh, you know, show something different and, uh, and uh, show something with quality. You know, it's about doing your best. And uh, so some people are gonna like it, some people don't. Uh, for me, it's really about uh, this need <laughs> to put Portuguese families dancing <laughs> because we need this. Do you have a message for the people in Portugal who will hopefully vote for you at Festival de Cancel? I'm just, I'm going to say that I'm, it's, it's really important that this kind of, of festival happens, festival happens. Uh, and it, it's just a, a pleasure to be able to, at this moment, especially right now, to be able to do what I do best and what I really love to do, which is uh, singing, writing, uh, performing, and to be able to do that right now, it's for me, it's, it's, I got to thank everybody that would be, will be watching and, uh, and, uh, you know, everybody that is supporting the, uh, you know, culture, which is, which is an issue here, you know, it's always been an issue, um, how we support our culture. Uh, and so this is really special. And, and the fact that this is actually happening besides all the problems that we have at the moment. So things are not really, you know, uh, working for us. So yeah, I gotta, you know, thank everybody that, and I hope people, some people start to take culture and music, uh, you know, more seriously. This is the Euro Trip. So a big thanks to Dachik for joining us on this week's episode of the Eurotrip podcast. Uh, of course, she is competing in the second semi-final of Festival de Cancel, which is taking place this coming Saturday. You, of course, can watch that over on Eurotrip.tv, where you can find all of the other national selections and a whole host of other shows that involve Eurovision artists. But now it is time for this week's big interview. Hi guys, I'm Jake Shakeshaft. I represented the UK at Eurovision in 2016 and you're listening to the Eurotrip. That's right, we teased him a little bit earlier on. It is Jake off of Joe and Jake, the UK's entry from Eurovision 2016. As James said as well earlier on, it is great when we get to talk to a former United Kingdom artist on the podcast because they always have such brilliant stories and I can promise you that Jake is no exception. Uh, Eurovision 2016 holds uh, some interesting memories for me. Uh, of course, it's some people's, many people's favourite Eurovision of all time, as we saw Sweden put on an excellent show in Stockholm. I decided that 2016 would be the year that I would introduce two of my friends to the contest and to Eurovision. Uh, however, uh, what happened was we went for a bottomless brunch on the morning of, uh, and therefore, as you can imagine, had quite a bit to drink. I didn't have as much as the other two because, you know, Eurovision, you've got to concentrate. Uh, I seem to remember we went back to, I think at the time I was living with my girlfriend, so we went back to her house uh, and they both sat on the bed in the spare room where we pitched up camp to watch that year's contest. Uh, you heard the music at the start of uh, Eurovision, as we always do, that wonderful little anthem, and uh, I looked behind me 
both asleep. Wow. So do you think it was the fact that your two friends had spent an entire day with you, that they were so bored and so ready for sleep that it just just took over at that point? Quite possibly. Uh, something that also happened that day is they had a bottle of vodka confiscated from them at the London Dungeons, but that's a story <laughs> for another day. I certainly didn't expect those words to come out in that order on this week's episode. Wow. Uh, but yeah, as Rob says, or as Rob didn't really say, because he took us on a very long and winding road there, it is time to speak to Jake Shakeshaft this week. Uh, as he mentioned a little bit earlier on, there's so many great stories to come from Jake this week. He's, uh, he's one of these characters that is just so normal, so down to earth, and you just get so many great little anecdotes from him. Uh, but, of course, he represented the UK in 2016 alongside Joe to form Joe and Jake. Uh, they both participated on The Voice here in the United Kingdom. So I started off by asking him where that relationship first began. Number one, we were two young lads, uh, same age, both first-time experience with television or anything of the sorts, uh, both extremely nervous, but we were on separate teams, so I don't think we needed to worry about each other or anything like that, so it was more like we connected on that. We're both uh, fans of Liverpool Football Club, um, so it was just like an instant connection, and from then on it was like, oh, how are you going, how are your rehearsals going, because they're all separate times. So whenever we used to meet up in our own time, we used to be like, oh, how are your rehearsals going, is this going well? He'd show me things about his performances, I'd show him things about mine. And it was just like a nice way to bond, really, and then it was very, it was very natural, to be honest, because... After the show was finished, for the next 12 months, obviously, you kind of hot property at that time. Um, so people, they tried to book as many live acts as possible from these shows, X Factor, Voice Britain's Got Talent. They tried to get as many acts as possible. So me and Joe found ourselves doing a lot of gigs on the same bill, performing separately. From then on, you know, it was pretty good because we'd chatted the backside off all of our friends, you know, about experiences and stuff like that. In the end, I'm pretty certain they were sick of hearing them, but to us, it was really special. Um, and uh, when me and Joe met off, we were like two people who couldn't get bored of talking about that experience. Um, so I think things just clicked then naturally and a friendship kind of carried on and blossomed, if you will, to, uh, to end up working together and, you know, forming a duo. So you, you do get to that point, you know, you hit it off on The Voice, you become great friends, you, you perform together and then you perform the duo, Joe and Jake. And then it was sort of autumn time 2015 when the BBC put out this open submission for people to write songs or for performers to come forward for Eurovision 2016. How did you first get involved? Did a songwriter come to you and say, here's a song? Did you, yourself and Joe go, oh, we fancy a piece of that? What was the initial process like for you two? The first thing we needed was an opportunity um, because no matter how much we put things out on social media, no matter how we announced ourselves as duos, it didn't really matter because anything that's on television will always outweigh anything you put on social media. So yeah, we needed an opportunity. We needed to really kind of announce to anyone who's followed us previously that we were working in a duo and we were no longer solo acts and this was what we saw for the, for the foreseeable. So we were looking around at some of the things to go for. We were both fans of the Eurovision Song Contest. Um, we saw that there was going to be a You Decide show, a selection show. We thought, well, that's a great opportunity, something that we're both, we're both interested in. Um, so we pretty much submitted um, a video, an application, if you will. And from then on, we kind of started the search. You ended up writing, oh, sorry, you ended up getting a song written by Matt Schwartz, who was one of the songwriters. He's a big songwriter, mm -hmm. isn't he? He's written for the likes yeah. of Kylie, Cheryl. He wrote the number one song in the late 90s, King of My Castle, for, uh, for Wound You Project, which is a massive tune. What was it like to have a song mm. written by him? 
It was crazy. I mean, we did a lot of work with him. And, uh, he's, he's such a character. <laughs> he really is a great character. And it was all very, you know, oh, no, do this, do this, do this. But at the same time, there was only kind of that love behind it. It was brilliant. He just wanted the best out of you. And I found he has a great way of bringing the best out of you. I mean, in the end, I think um, because of, purely because of Matt and all the ideas and things that we were brainstorming, he, I think we ended up with about 48 different versions of You're Not Alone. From start to finish in different styles, genres, chants in there, all kind of stuff. There was all different versions that we could have put out of that song. There was dance versions, chanting versions, like anthemic and that kind of stuff. There was so many different versions. Um, you know, we spent a lot of time on that song. <laughs> How did you end up choosing that final version then? Because if there's so many to choose from, is it not just yeah. a case of, oh my God, I can't choose the, the one that I know is going to be yeah. the right one? It was really difficult, really difficult, because there were quite a few that me and Joe were really, really for. We were like, oh, what about this? What about this? And even Matt was there going, yeah, what about that? <laughs> <laughs> and I think we were all wavering a little bit, but I think if it was just being released for charting, or something like that, it probably would have released a different version. But as I say, you have to have that element of that energy. You had to think about the live performance as well. Uh, it was more about, right, okay, well, with this version, we've got this where it kicks in here, we've got the little break there, we've got all of that, and it all leads into, right, well, at that point, you can come in with full energy and try and get the crowd going. And I think that was the most important thing when we were thinking about it. And then on the night of you decide, you, you get announced as, as the winners, the, <laughs> UK, the UK entry for Eurovision 2016. From that moment up until you travel to Sweden, to Stockholm for the, for the grand final itself, what is that journey like? Because surely just, you know, it just changes overnight. I can now reveal that the winner and the UK representative for Eurovision 2016 is Joe and Jake. Congratulations, Joe and Jake. You are the people's choice. Oh, it's it's very strange because all of a sudden you get you get selected, then you go away and you know you do interviews and stuff with these different people. Then all of a sudden in the months coming up to Eurovision, things just get busier and busier and busier. And you just you think as soon as you've been selected, you're like, well, that's that's okay. Now this is what we're to expect you know, up to Eurovision, um, like what you're living right now, you know, interviews, occasionally people stopping you, asking for interviews and photos and all that kind of stuff. And you think, right, so this is it. We've got time to do everything. We've got time to rehearse. Then all of a sudden we got closer to Eurovision and I thought, yeah, this wasn't even a glimpse of what we were in for, to be honest. We thought, all oh, right, that's it now. As soon as we got closer to Eurovision, we were bombarded with everything, like phoners, interviews. We had days where we had to go to places and we'd spend hours just sitting there in one booth doing different phones with different radio stations around the country. And we spent hours doing 10-minute interviews. That's how many we were doing. Um, it was crazy. We literally had to dedicate a day to it sometimes, like a whole day just to get it done. Other days we'd have to go to different places. And it was very surreal for me and Joe. It's what we've wanted for a long time. And I think working with somebody else took the nerves off as well. I was going to ask about that because for, for soloists, for solo singers, it can be quite a difficult, maybe it's a lonely experience. But to have Joe very by lonely. your side for that entire time, how, how special was it to have, have him there that, that, for that entire journey? It was, it was extremely valuable. <laughs> very valuable. I mean, me and Joe, we lived together for roughly about 18 months. and 
I can honestly say I don't think we fell out about anything. <laughs> honestly, that's not just saying for a camera or an interview. That is that is genuine. Me and Joe never fell out about anything. Uh, every now and again, we had a difference in opinion or something like that. But we were extremely similar, but different enough to not fall out. What was the grand final performance like then? Because you've gone through all these months of preparation, these countless rehearsals and performances ready for that night. Those three minutes, what was it like up on stage? Very quick. <laughs> it was very quick. It was a blur. Uh, we were literally, we went, on, uh, we went on Blue Peter, like leading up to the show. And um, we'd asked quite a few people, everyone that we spoke to, we pretty much asked them for their advice. We went to Michael Ball, asked, asked him for his advice, in which case it was don't get too drunk. Um, <laughs> did you take and, that uh, advice? We did, actually, yeah. <laughs> we didn't drink a drop until afterwards, in which case we needed a drink. But uh, <laughs> we, um, we spoke to all these people, and um, one of the guys we were working with on Blue Peter gave us the best advice. Honestly, we've said it in quite a few interviews, but it's genuinely true. He said to us, remember to remember. And I thought, that sounds quite strange at face value, but it's genuinely true. Um, when we went for the Eurovision final, the first thing we tried to do was, right, let's not think about this, let's not think about this, let's look out there, look at these people, focus on the cameras and all that kind of thing, and remember all the experiences so we can talk about it in years to come and retain everything. You're not alone, we're in this remember the performance does it is it still a yeah. highlight for you definitely yeah i uh i still remember so many different things about the performance i have so many stories before just going on stage and things like that our uh, our makeup artist and things like that she i'm pretty certain she wouldn't have liked us because what we used to do before every performance we found through different different experiences and however much practice thousands of hours that we were better, we put forward a better performance when we were loose and we were energetic and ready, basically. So what we found out with our choreographer, Jay Raval, was that we used to do like a little workout before every take. So we'd have to get down, he'd put his entire live version on of Beyonce Crazy in Love, which was about six minutes. I no longer like that song, I used to like it. <laughs> <laughs> We put that song on, which was about six minutes, and we'd have to do like running on the spot, hands up here, and now our knees would have to touch our hands. Then he'd say, Down, you have to get down, start doing press ups and burpees and all that kind of stuff. And then we'd just go straight into a take, like we go straight into a thing. And all of a sudden, we found that our performances were much better, much more energetic when our heart was already pumping and blood was already flowing. So before we went, whether it was a practice run, a dummy run, uh, the uh, jury final. Anything, anytime we had to perform on that stage in Stockholm, he'd get the pads out, he'd get the boxing pads out, and me and Joe would have to do 10 minutes on the pads with him. We'd be sweating like mad because we were all in black and leather and stuff like that, so we're there hitting the pads, going absolutely ballistic. And then the makeup artist would be like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> she'd have to come over, pat us down, apply a bit more. And literally about 30 seconds before we walked out on that Eurovision stage, in front of you know, the global televised audience, we were absolutely sweating our so-and-sos off <laughs> because we'd just done 10 minutes on the pads. So that's one way of getting rid of the nerves before you go up on stage. But a lot of artists say that's not where the nerves are. The nerves are when you're sitting in the green room waiting for all those points to come in. What is it like to sit in the green room when, you've, when you're waiting for all these points to come back in? 
it's a very strange experience because we went through many different mindsets. In the betting odds, we were roughly around bottom third. So we were like, it's higher than we were expecting, to be fair. Um, and then literally after we did our very first performance, um, very first stage run, which was later than everybody else's because me and Joe both had food poisoning at separate times in Stockholm. Oh, uh, really? For, yeah, first night I got there, I had food poisoning. I was out of action for two days. Uh, and then as soon as I got better, Joe got food poisoning. He was out of action for two days. So for the first four or five days that we were there, the first couple of days, Joe had to do the performance in a room in Stockholm on his own, pretending I was there. And then when I was finally better, <laughs> I had to go in the room and he wasn't there and I had to perform like he wasn't there. Um, so we did our performance a little bit later than everybody else's in the, in the Globe Arena. But when we actually got out there and did our first rehearsal, we shot up in the betting odds. So all of a sudden the attitude changed. We did our performance in the Euro Village and we finished off one night. We kind of headlined it, if you will. And uh, loads of people were there. It was packed out and you had fans from all over the place singing the songs going mad. And uh, I saw a little blog about it and it really warmed my heart kind of thing. And all of a sudden we started to believe in ourselves a hell of a lot more. We thought, if it was just UK fans coming up to us and saying, you know, you're going to do really well this year, you're doing really well, we'd be like, oh, that's really nice, but obviously it's not down to your votes. <laughs> and then, you know, we really started to believe our own, own hype in, in a way. We went out there, we smashed it as much as we possibly could. Um, so we were really disheartened um, when we saw the results. After the first half, we thought, this is a really good, really good play. I think we were like 10th or something like that after the, the first half of the voting. And we were like, brilliant and then obviously the second half and we plummeted and went down to, towards the very bottom and we were absolutely gutted we will start by showing you the 16 countries that got the lowest scores from the viewers and here they are zero points to czech republic eight points to the united kingdom so how, how do you feel once all those results have come through? Because as you say, you've gone through this sort of roller coaster of emotions throughout the months of thinking, we're just doing this because we can, and now we think we've got a chance, we've done mm. the performance. How, how pleased are you now, looking back, what, nearly five years on now, how pleased are you with the end result? End result, uh, very disappointed, obviously. Um, me and Joe were both very, very disappointed as soon as we got back to London. It was the quietest we'd been in 18 months. We got into this hotel room and we just, we just lay there. And went... None of us said anything to each other. It was the quietest we'd ever been apart from eating. It was, <laughs> you know, we just lay there and like, just looked across every now and again as if, should we say something? Was like, nah, <laughs> I don't think anything needs saying right now. <laughs> we were both just really gutted. And also what we'd been working towards for the best part of 12 months was now over. Um, it, it almost felt like we'd lost an arm, <laughs> you know, it's like we'd lost something that was really vital to us because we were like, you know, we worked on this for so long. This has almost become our normality. Now all of a sudden we're not working towards anything. Something's gone. That, that performance has now been and gone. It's done and dusted. And we were like, oh. it felt horrible. We weren't working on anything anymore. So I think, yeah, all in all, it was quite, it was a difficult experience when Eurovision was over, mentally. When did you have that initial moment then when it had finished? Was it the, the show was over or you got back to the hotel in Sweden? When was it where you sort of realised, oh God, yeah, this Eurovision journey's over. I've got to look forward to, to plan something else now. Literally as soon as we got back in that hotel room in London. 
um, because the party kind of carried on. We didn't drink a drop like throughout the whole Eurovision thing, um, you know, on the night. Even when we were sitting in the green room afterwards, we didn't drink anything until we got back to the hotel at like one, two o'clock in the morning. Um, we, we didn't drink anything. Um, and as soon as we got back to the, the hotel, there was a party that kind of started and both of our families there, man and Joe's family, all of us were there, everyone who travelled across. And it was just introducing my family to everyone that they'd heard of, they'd heard multiple stories about because obviously we'd FaceTime and things like that. We, we called each other a lot. So literally once the final was over, I didn't really have time to think about anything else because I was introducing my family to these people, these people talking about potential future options and where to go and what to do. Um, so yeah, it didn't really hit us until we got home back in a London hotel room that we were like, yeah, it's over, isn't it? Um, that's, that's when it really hit us hard. Other than that, didn't have a chance. <laughs> <laughs> and give us an idea of what it's like then when you said you got back to that hotel room in London and it's sort of that, it's that release, isn't it? It's that realization that you've spent all that time leading up to one thing and now you've got to move on and do something else. So what was that something else? What did you and Joe do? Was it, did you immediately sort of go off and do different things or did you stay together for a little bit longer? How did it work for you guys? Well, we stayed together working together like consistently for probably another year. Um, as soon as we got back to that hotel room in London, we were going home a couple of days after. Uh, we had a couple of appearances booked on some shows, uh, post-Eurovision. And we had to stay in London until they, they were over. And then we went home. And it was... I can't even explain how I felt on that train journey home. Because uh, I, I was obviously looking forward to going home, seeing my family, seeing my friends. I hadn't seen my friends in some time. So when I came back, I was looking forward to seeing everybody, but I didn't know when I'd be going back to London again. I didn't know what the next thing we'd be working on was. So I was quite down about the whole thing. I'd never been, I'd never been so down about going home, <laughs> um, even though I was really looking forward to it. And we had a couple of months just at home so we could spend some time with our families and friends and catch up with people. And, you know, I could get down with local and have a word with everybody and, you know, just kind of share the experiences that no doubt they were going to ask me about. Um, and then after that, you know, we started writing music. We got gigs coming in. Uh, obviously, there were a lot of pride festivals, uh, things like that, that naturally wanted us to play. So we played quite a lot of those, uh, quite a few corporate events. We did quite a few gigs while at the same time trying to write some more music. Um, eventually, uh, I wrote a song called Tongue Tied um, that we ended up releasing uh, independently. Um, but by the time we did that, I think, you know, the iron was nowhere near as hot as, as it was initially. Um, you know, there were quite a few complications in the way of releasing independent music. Um, and by the time we did, yeah, I mean, we did a couple of performances in different places. We performed a song in Munich um, to try and raise some interest at a Eurovision party. Uh, and people loved the song and things like that. But I think they were just so focused on the Eurovision song because it was performed at the contest and things like that. that the the tongue tied just kind of got um, kind of got looked over, I think. But that's pretty much what we worked on. And then we kind of got to a point where we just couldn't carry on as solo, you know, as, um, as musicians anymore, as full-time musicians. How was it then to, to sort of end that journey, not just as a full-time musician, but with Joe as well? Because obviously you guys had then come together, had this massive journey together. What was it like to sort of say goodbye to that? It was, it was horrible. It really was. It was something that I didn't want to do. Um, something that I, des I was desperate not to do. Uh, but in the end, it was literally we had no choice. Um, and it was, it was horrible because I adored working with Joe. I'd do it again tomorrow. Uh, we both said exactly the same thing whenever we call each other. 
It's like, uh, you know, how much would you give to go and do it all over again? It was like everything. You know, we enjoyed it that much. We had such a good time. Uh, I'd definitely do things differently if I did it again. Um, but at the same time, that doesn't sour my experience of anything. I enjoyed every second of it. I absolutely loved it. Um, you know, if I went into it now, I'd be in a, a totally different person, totally different mindset, uh, more, a more mature mindset, that's for certain. But, um, yeah, it was, it was horrible to have to say goodbye to that. Working with Joe was great. We had great experiences that we still talk about now. We remember every little thing. I mean, when we used to get booked to go to different places, different hotels, we had to stop in. Some people would try and book us like separate rooms. And we were like, no, 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 just put us in the same room. Like, number one, you'll save your money. Number two, we prefer it. Um, I think we both miss it very much. So, yeah, I was gutting to walk away from that because it wasn't just the experiences people saw. It was the things that people didn't. That's it. So it's not a full-time thing for you anymore. But do you do, you do any sort of songwriting on the side sort of in your spare time and stuff like that? You mentioned you would, yes. if you did it again, if you went to Eurovision again, it would be very different. Is it realistic that that, that could happen again? Or is it more, is it just a hobby for you now, really? At this moment in time, um, it's... I wouldn't say, yeah, yeah, probably a hobby at this moment in time. It's something that I do if the mood takes me. Uh, when me and Joe broke up, that sounds awful, doesn't it? <laughs> when me and Joe stopped working together, um, but you know, neither of us liked it, and I kind of give music a bit of a mess after that because I was quite down about everything. You know, we were down that Eurovision was over, we were down that the gigs weren't coming in for obvious reasons, um, down that we weren't working together anymore. So it was, it was, it was really difficult. I certainly found it very difficult. So all of a sudden, I, I just didn't want to do music. You know, every time I picked a guitar up, I was like, and put it back down. Uh, you know, I was so down about music. And it took me some time, two and a half, three years, maybe longer, to uh, pick up a guitar again and start going, do you know what, I do actually enjoy this. Before I let you go, there's a question that I've got to ask you, because it's a question we ask everybody who comes on the podcast. What is your second favourite Eurovision song of all time? <laughs> I like that. I like that. That's definitely thinking outside the box. Nobody ever asks you that. <laughs> My second favourite. See, I've always had a massive like toss-up between number one and number two, between two songs, which is Euphoria and uh, Heroes. There are a lot of other songs that I really like. Uh, I love Fly on the Wings of Love. I'll tell you what, I'll give you, I'll give you three amazing tracks there. I'll let you choose from any of them. So there you go. We can indeed hit the Euphoria klaxon, but he gave us two more, Heroes by Mons and Fly on the Wings of Love by the Olsen Brothers. So Rob, if you had to choose for him, what would be his second favourite Eurovision song? I think given that he was part of a duo that performed at Eurovision, surely it can only be the ultimate Eurovision duo, uh, Fly on the Wings of Love, the Olsen Brothers. Oh, how? Yeah, that works. Check you out. That's about the only logic that I've spoken since we started this podcast in <laughs> August. Oh, indeed. It, uh, yeah, I, I have to agree. Yeah, it is the only logic you've ever spoken on this podcast. Uh, but back to Jake. Fantastic to have him on. As I said, I think I've said this so many times already. He was so open and honest. He was so down to earth. He had a great story to tell, didn't he, Rob? Yeah, you mentioned open and honest there. And, you know, that was one of the most compelling parts of the conversation for me was when Jake was talking about, you know, actually how he was feeling after the final in 2016 and, and what happened to his partnership with Jake and, and kind of how he's got to the point of, of where he's at right now. You know, it's, it's, it's not all glitz and glam in the world of Eurovision. And, and thank you very much to, to Jake for, for being so honest with us. 
Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I remember we spoke to um, Albert from Lake Malawi a few weeks ago, and he was very open and honest about what that come down is like uh, after taking part in the Eurovision Song Contest. And Jake was just the same, but you know, he's clearly picked himself back up. He's in a he's in a great place. He still plays music, you know, just to to pass the time. He enjoys it still as a hobby. And uh, but I still think it would be great if uh, if we got some more music for from from Jake again. I still think you're not alone. Banger. Absolutely, but I tell you what I would like to hear, those 40-odd other versions of You're Not Alone that he mentioned. Yes, I want to hear the dance version. Yeah. Oh, dear. Anyway, it is almost the end of this week's podcast. But as ever, it is time for the one-second song. Uh, Each week, me and James take it in turns to play each other the first second of a Eurovision entry. We have four points on offer. One for the year, one for the country, one for the song... And one for the artist. Uh, this week, it is James who has to pick up the mantle and guess this week's One Second Song. Uh, so for you at home and for James for the first time, here it is. Hmm, now then, an acoustic guitar. It's not a lot to play with. I mean, there never really is, is there, given that it's the first second of a Eurovision song. Although that said, it does surprise me how often, you know, you at home and, and us too hear the first second and we go, oh yeah, it's that. Although I, I get the sense that's not happening for you this week. It certainly isn't. I tell you what, we'll hear it once more to see if it helps me along. I don't think it did help me along really. Um, I've not got a lot to play with because it doesn't really sound familiar whatsoever. So what I'm going to do I don't think it is this, but I'm going to say it anyway, because what I'm hoping for is that you've gone for something that sort of ties to this episode. So I'm hoping you've gone for somebody who represented the United Kingdom as well as Jake at the Eurovision Song Contest and somebody who's been on the podcast before, uh, James Fox. Now, I did say that I don't think it is this, but I'm hoping it might be. So I'm going to say James Fox, United Kingdom, 2000 and... Well, I've even forgotten the year. 2004? We'll say 2004... And I've forgotten his song title. Oh, dear me. What was it called? <laughs> oh, what was it? This, I really do enjoy this song as well. This is very embarrassing. I'm going to say it's called Something to Do with Love. <laughs> tonight. That's not the song title either, is it? Hold on to our love tonight hold on to our love tonight i don't think it's called that but that's what you're getting uh just drop a word off drop the tonight hold on to our love oh there you go I'm, there you go that's what i'm saying how many points do we get well that was all a complete waste of time wasn't it you got no points oh never mind sorry about that um now it was linked to an episode although not this one uh it was linked to our special episode on friday uh you often tell us that the first year that you got into eurovision properly was uh 2010 correct yeah now, you may remember from our special episode on Friday, uh, Stein Smulders, uh, Eurovision's digital king, also said that uh, Eurovision 2010 held special memories for him. He remembered listening to the contest at home. So we took some inspiration from that. Uh, so the year is 2010. Now, the country is one that I'd love to see return to Eurovision. It is Bosnia and Herzegovina. Uh, the artist, Vukasin Brahic, and the song was the original... Thunder and lightning, it's getting exciting. I mean, it was just called Thunder and Lightning. Here it is. Say just one more word And you will make it end And I will leave this place 
So Bukasin Brahic there, Thunder and Lightning, uh, finished 17th in Oslo with 51 points. Uh, he performed 6th in between uh, Cyprus, John Lillygreen and the Islanders, and uh, Belgium, Tom Dice, me and my guitar. There you go. It's easy once you know it, Rob. We say that every single week. Maybe I'll get some points another day. Maybe, maybe. Your chance will come again. It'll be me, of course, though, next week to uh, to guess the one-second song. And already, pretty confident. Well, I mean, hold on. You can't be confident before you've heard it. I'll just pick something from 1963 if you think you're that confident. <laughs> I feel like I may, have, uh, I may have spoken prematurely. Please don't do that. Although you would be guaranteed a point now that I've said it's 1963. I've noted it down in my little notepad just in case. <laughs> This is, now we're going to get in, in a situation where we're not sure whether the other person is double bluffing. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Anyway, uh, it's probably about time we should end this week's podcast, wouldn't you agree? I think it is probably time that our Eurovision adventure for another week comes to an end. But uh, thank you very much to all of you who have tuned in as ever. And please do get in touch. Honestly, we sound desperate every week. We know that loads of you are listening, which is absolutely fantastic. But it it just gives you a little warm, fuzzy feeling when you get a little message. Uh, So please do drop us one. Uh, Twitter, at EuroTripPodcast. Instagram as well, same name. And don't forget that special email, hello at EuroTripPodcast.com. But until next Wednesday, and of course next Monday for Melfest Monday, don't forget to subscribe, leave us a review, and rate us five star. From me, James, it's goodbye. Uh, from me, Rob, it's goodbye. And uh, Corey, just for you, I know you're binging the episodes and you might not be quite up to date, but when you do, here's a little gift. <laughs> a good boy. Ho, 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 Oh dear, I had a feeling you were going to do that as well. The old worgen back on the podcast. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to have a quick swig of water. I say a swig of water. It's from, you know, those reusable water bottles. But honestly, I can't remember when I put that water in there. It could, it may well be from before Christmas. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.